Welcome to the Buck and Strutton Podcast, the chronicles of a few unlegendary hunters. Your home for tactics, strategies, and stories. folks welcome back to the buck and strutton podcast on today's episode we have mark haslam and mark i'm so stoked to have you back on i've uh, i've kind of been keeping up with you on your social media and just seeing the awesome season that you had i'm really excited to kind of dive into that but how are you doing man it's been a while since we've talked nick i'm doing very well uh thanks nick cow for having me back on yeah, I'm having a good day. I'm out here in my garage. I've got a little um, setup out here. I wife's inside uh, doing bedtime, bath time with the kids. So I figured I've got in the garage where it's a little more quiet. And we just happen to have this old couch here that I'm in the process of throwing out. So it worked out. Yeah, I, I'm sitting here. We're sitting here on Zoom, and it, you kind of got quite the setup out there. You know, yeah, like this is. This is my uh, quiet place, I guess. Yeah? Are you, you going to turn it into uh, your own podcasting studio, maybe? <laughs> no. <laughs> no way. Uh, I might turn into a TikTok star, though. There you go. We'll see. We'll see. If, if you do that, <laughs> listen, I'm going to give you a tip here. This is a, your amateur pro tip of the day, and I don't even know yeah. one. But if you, grab my pen. On, yeah, if you get on TikTok, you need to get like those, uh, you know, those, those ring LED lights. Yeah, they make the yeah. single ones, but you need to get the double one. Like it goes like out. So there's two ring lights on each side and then you put your phone right in the middle. Okay. I've read really good reviews on Amazon about it. I will do it. <laughs> so get a sign in the back that says March Dojo. And <laughs> that. There you go. I was wondering if you're going to notice the uh, Missouri signs I got back there. See, I'm looking. I don't see him. Conservation area. Oh, I see it right there. Yeah. <laughs> I see it right there. They were old, and I talked to one of the uh, uh, conservation workers there. Um, down in the Ozarks. Got those. Down in Springfield area? Um, I was around, I think where Springfield is. No, I was in the south. East. Okay, that's kind of the boot hill. South. Yeah, southeast. No. I went south central. I'm actually I went all over. But anyways, I, I digress. But yeah, I'm I'm glad to be back. Had a good season. Hope you all did this as well. It uh following along with all your adventures. Our uh, our season is my season is nowhere near as exciting as what your guys is entailed. But that's beside the point. I still had a hell of a time and a lot of fun. So I guess that's all that matters. That's all that matters. So kicking this off real quick, man. What you last time we had you on, we kind of talked about some of the management that you had you had done on your property leading in to deer season. Is there anything that you would have changed to what you've done? Or was it 
kind of all how it played out to be. Um, one thing I would change, and this is something that, that we're going to start working on now, is that we've got a sanctuary on our property, like a lot of people do. Um, and we've labeled it, you know, it, it, we've labeled it a deer sanctuary, but the deer aren't using it like a sanctuary. They're just, it's just an area where we don't go into. Um, and I went in there late season trying to hunt on the inside of it. Um, kind of hunt my way into it and I didn't really know it all that well. And, um, I've really let that slip by. So I've got a plan for it now and we're going to restructure it and truly make it a sanctuary. Cause I, I, there, there was an article in NDA recently that, um, that they posted, I, I think it's a couple of years old, but talking about how people mismanage or they miscategorize a sanctuary. And, you know, it really needs to be something highly desired by deer for them to, for them to use it. But besides that, um, you know, this was, this past year was kind of a year of sacrifice as far as going after does. This was probably a third straight year of trying to increase and target does, antlerless deer harvest. And we'll shoot some bucks if we see them, but really just trying to get that butt doe ratio down. So for your, I'm sure I'm assuming that you kind of have a uh, like a ballpark range of what that needs to be mm-hmm. on that property. Do you, you, are you close to that quota or are you kind of hovering or I we were making strides but I don't really I, I'm um we've got our figures of course from last year and we've got our stats um from the past the previous 16 years and I'm hoping to put something together um to have a to start a discussion with some different biologists and even some of the some of some of the state of South Carolina about deer densities um, cause right now we're like this past season, if you break down the property, if you look at it, like per square mile, I think we were at 30 to 40 does per square mile and then some bucks in there too. And the standard answer for how many deer is like 20 to 40 deer per square mile. That's typically kind of what you see across the board, like the Southeast, probably where y'all are 20 to 40 per square mile. That that's just insanely low, it, it, at least for our area. Uh, I mean, you know, if we're if we're shooting thirty to forties per square mile, it's got to at least double that. It has to be. I mean, there's no way that we're killing fifty percent. I think it's a lot more, but I just I, I'm not afraid. But I'm you know I don't want to throw out too many high numbers. It just seem crazy. But if we're shooting that many and we're still seeing that many, I mean, I'd go out late mid-December and see 14, 20 does in the, in the timber. So I, I just, um, I think there's a lot of things wrapped up uh, with it, but, you know, we're in an area that's very similar to a lot of the Southeast where a lot of the land is either pine farms, they're, they're growing pine trees, they're growing the fast growing ones that grow 25 years and then you can cut them or you can thin them. Um, and it's a lot of ag. So you've got a lot of ag, a lot of good, good nutrition and the pine farms. A lot of people look at, look at those as just wastelands, but the first five to eight, 10 years of a pine stand is just a thicket, this loaded with deer. Um, so I, I think we're holding more deer and then you, you mix in the whole big, big buck craze 
and there's a lot of people that they, they're not shooting does. We've got a neighbor that um, they've got a couple hundred acres they have permission on, and they probably shoot a couple of times a year. And so everything we do, I mean, we're just, if we take out a number of does that are on our property, we're just going to pull them for the next. So it's, um, you know, it's a good problem to have. So how, let's talk about like that, the education aspect with this. I, I kind of have a similar story with, with that. Some folks that we know that they farm uh, soybeans down here in uh, Southwest Missouri. And they ended up being able to, kill deer all year long conservation department came out and deemed that they were a nuisance animal on their crop and their neighbor like freaking out and i mean this is this is probably you know a couple thousand acres of property that it's all one big square of their property and the neighbor's property the neighbor is and they can only kill does they cannot kill any antler deer throughout this time so the neighbor's freaking out that, oh, you're killing all the deer that we hunt, da 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 da. But, and I, he, they were telling me this. And I'm like, well, I guarantee that they don't, you know, they're, they're these big butt chasing guys and all this stuff that I guarantee that if you look at it from when your grandfather was alive up till now, there's a, probably a big difference with the sex ratios. But that long explanation, my question is, is how do you, how do you educate somebody or, Hey, you know, you need to go check this out. That's backed by science that it's not some just Joe Schmo speaking it, you know? Yeah, you're right. You've got to hit them with science and it's, it's, it, it can be a hard conversation similar to where the biologists were um, in the eighties when Joe Hamilton came along and started, you know, he didn't start, but he took the QDM model that came from his mentor, Al Brothers from Texas and brought it to the Southeast and was trying to educate hunters and hunting clubs to start shooting does because they were still in that mindset of coming off um, when the meat markets pretty much ran, almost drove the species to, to, to extinction. So like what, you know, so they, everyone stopped shooting does. It, it would probably be a similar situation the main issue I see, Nick, is that, like, you can have a 1,000 acres and just never shoot a doe, and your sex ratio is, is way out of whack. But if you hunt enough, enough times, you'll see some bucks. So it's not like you're not never going to see bucks. You'll see them, and you'll eventually shoot one. Um, and the population is gonna, will get way out of whack. But if they start to shoot the does and get more, they probably it's very hard to get one-to-one, but if, but if they – shoot more does, they'll see more bucks. They'll have a better, better rut hunting. They'll see bucks move more, chase more. That's what they're missing. But the, but the bucks are still there. But, you know, some people like some people like going out and seeing 20, 30 deer in the field. Um, so it's hard to argue that or to tell someone they shouldn't see that. But if they're seeing, I don't know, 10 to 15 does for every buck, that's a problem. That's a big problem. That's a huge problem. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, um, it's tough. What I find funny is you get people that probably aren't shooting does, you know, and that's, you know, they can, whatever's legal, they can do it. You know, I, I, I'm fine with that. But then they talk about a coyote as being like this, you know, monster that's going to kill the deer. 
So on one hand, they're not killing enough does, but then they're wanting to kill every predator, like every coyote. So it's like, you know, there is something there where like a coyote, if you're, if you're ever populated, the coyote is doing something, you know, to help you out. It's not, they're going to kill them all, but I find that kind of funny, but yeah, it, it, it's something that, that I, th- I think hunters need to focus on. Um, and quite frankly, if they just, I'm going to hopefully put something out soon, but if, if they just, if you hunt on property, like there's no reason why public land can't do this. It would be very hard. Okay. Very, very hard. But there's apps for this. If you have a hunting log for the property that you have permission on or that you own, or like maybe if they could do it public land and you, if the end of the season run the stats and, the, and there's software programs that do this for you, you just input what you see, how many does, the bucks, what it'll run the numbers and show you the buck to day ratio, your fawn recruitment, on average, how many bucks you're seeing per percent, how many does, all of that. It'll show you what you're seeing, like for the moon phase, the temperature. And that's the kind of kind of hard numbers that I think people need to see, you know. I think that people want to see that, but they don't want to do the legwork on the back half. Exactly. You know, you, you, you always, people get into the, all these apps that talk about when's the right time to hunt in my zip code, you know, like when, when is this, this, and this, Yep. you just want that information right now. And is there some truth to that information? There probably, there probably is some truth, but at the same time, it would be a hundred percent more accurate if you just did the legwork the the public land idea i think that's i think that's brilliant i think it i think it would be hard to do it'd be man these backwoods hillbillies down here i don't know, <laughs> I don't know. yeah yeah I, it change is uh it's hard for people yeah so let's talk about you know our season hadn't even started here in missouri yet and on social media and bada bing bada boom man september 6 rolls around and it's like you've got you've already got a buck down like you've got a deer down and our season hasn't even started yet <laughs> and i'm like holy smokes this guy because your guys season starts in late august right august 15th august yep. 15th, mid-august so uh if you want go ahead and just kind of share the story on uh on this hunt yeah, I, I was um, I was actually able to do a good amount of early season hunting this first two weeks in August. I'm sorry, the last two weeks in August. For me, it's just kind of it just depends on work and and, and family. And really, if I have a an idea where some bucks are, because I don't I don't want to blow the woods up, uh, mess it up for our doe hunt that we'll get to, and then also rut hunting. So, um, and th- th- those early buck hunts because we can't shoot does until mid-September. They just want more time for the fawns to be with the does. They still have spots. They're still um, nursing. And, uh, you know, I've been hunting velvet box since, since high school, pretty good. Um, and it's, you either have good intel or you don't. What I found mostly through hunting and trail cameras is they, they, they still have a very tight um, core area. They're not moving that far. And then get spooked very easily. So you're either in them or you're not. Those last two weeks in in, in August, I was trying to hunt some a couple that were down the swamp, 
um, in our little wetland system that uh, is very tough. At least it's tough for me. I'm sure y'all could probably go down there and just smoke them. Most people probably could. It's um, it's it's just been working me year after year. Um, but that's well, but I love the challenge of it. Um, and Labor Day, my family wanted want to go up there, which was great. Uh, my wife, two kids, my my dad was up there. My brother, his kids. And I uh, just had a nice, relaxing weekend. Watched watch football, grilling out. And I, I'm the only one in the family that hunts early season like that. It's just hot. People don't really like it. And um, and everything I was trying just was not working. Because, um, you know, some of those hunts, it's not like rut hunting. Because, you know, during the rut, you just kind of know, know where the does are. So, like, this kind of hunting, I don't really do the style of hunting. that You're really trying to target a buck. Because like my rut hunts, I'm really hanging around where, where like does are and where the bucks are going to be. Um, so like, like I said, every, everything I tried just failed. And Labor Day morning, the last hunt of that weekend, I finally just decided to go back to what was tried and true, where I've had luck um, other other early seasons, whether it's August, September, or even you know October, it's hot. And um, when most seasons open up, when your season in Missouri, Wisconsin, whatever opens up, it's going to be hot, most likely. And I know a lot of hunters, they don't want to hunt during the, during the morning. There's a stigma that you don't hunt until the rut. Mornings, mornings, okay? The way I look at it is like the coolest part of every day when it's hot is at night, obviously. And these bucks, are they going to get up? Are they going to be at a field or where you you can shoot them at dusk? Maybe, maybe not, probably not. Are they going to get up from their bed, start moving around at midnight, 2 a.m.? I don't know, maybe. Sometimes they might get back to their bed at 2 a.m. But what I found a lot of times is the bucks are skirting back right to their bed or the bedding general area right at first light, right at daybreak. Those early early hunts, no matter if it's in August or September for us, South Carolina, maybe it's October for y'all. They 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 haven't been educated. People aren't in the woods yet, blowing blowing them up. And if what this hunt was Labor Day morning is very similar to other hunts I've done, where I know where bucks are bedding, deer bedding. I don't know their beds. I'm not gonna sit here and claim I don't know where individual beds are, but I know thickets, and I know where they're bedding. Warm season thickets and then i climb get mobile flush up to them and the ideal situation is to be in some big timber that's maybe maybe been thinned or burned or both where it's got some good cover maybe two to four feet high it's got some cover for the deer to be in it's not wide open and it's around top of their bedding and they'll kind of mill through they're probably coming back like this buck that i shot who's probably on the center property at food plots working his way back, um, watching that sun come up. And this little bachelor group came, came in right at gray light. Four of them. He was the biggest one. Nice, nice eight point. Um, and they were skirting right back in, you know, uh, peacefully at ease. Um, and that's how I've had some luck. I mean, it, it doesn't always work, but if you can figure out, figure out where it, the hardest part is figuring out where this buck's bed during the day, during the heat, figure that out. 
and then just guess. I mean, I'm, I say figure out, just kind of guess where they're feeding at night and then try to cut them off. It doesn't always work. It's hard during the heat wind swirls. A lot of times in our August, September mornings, it's hot, it's humid. There's a lot of times not much wind and there's a lot of high humidity. So your moisture just sits there. Um, but that's basically how, how it came together. I mean, it sounds easy, but I've been trying this for a couple of weeks until it did. Um, but he, I, I think I shot first 10, 15 minutes or first light. And that was it. I mean, it's almost like hunting wood ducks to like wood ducks fly, um, right at first light and it's over and that's it. So with, cause you said you've, you've been hunting velvet bucks, you know, since you were in high school as this, as long as you've been doing that, how does that usually end up? Are you, are you usually successful or does it prove to be a lot harder than what, what it's made out to be? I, I personally think it, it's a lot harder. Um, if you have a good food source, um, a good food plot or ag field, and you're not screwing with them, you can shoot one on there. I mean, I, I've done that before, but it's very like – you see these pictures on like on social media, people like glassing fields, you know, they're in a truck. They're on the edge of a field on the standing on top of a silo with some binos. Like you, you do that one time, the deer pick you off and you're done. You know, you're, you're not going to, you're going to educate them. Deer will still come through, but those big box, you can educate them very quickly, very quickly. So it's, um, I, I've tried that glassing and you bump them one time and you throw the whole, whole field off. Because, you know, unless maybe your field's on top of a paved road, if it's on your property, you know, your scent's blowing somewhere. So you might have the wind in your favor looking at the field in front of you, but your scent's blowing that way, and you're going to have deer blowing at you that way. And then all of a sudden, deer, deer blowing, and it's, it, it just, I would, I would, uh, I'd rather not even try that early season. That's, you know, for, for us down, down here in Missouri, and I'm sure, Kyle, you're kind of probably the same way. When early season comes, I think I'm just so amped up and ready to get out into a tree somewhere that I don't necessarily think, and I'm so new to this still that there's a lot of things that I don't think about until after the fact. And it's like, man, if I would have thought about it a little bit more and planned it out, things may or may not have been different. If, if you're going to tell somebody, you know, because the, I don't know, I guess the way that I kind of look at it is if, if it's deer season and I have the time to go, I'm probably going to go. You, you know, should. and that's outside of whether it's chasing big bucks, chasing does, or just going out and getting some tree stand therapy. But it just, it seems like that September and October, Till about the middle of October around here, it's it's a different ball game. You're fighting the ticks, the heat, the snakes. Yeah, yeah. That's the way to do it. I mean, if you can go, go hunt. Don't wait. You know, you you might learn something um, by going early. Um, I, I so um, deer move during the heat. I, you know, I mean, our weather is not too different than Missouri. I mean, it's it's a little bit further south. It's more hot. It's more humid. Yeah. But our deer, they're in a heat or, or warm temps for more than they're not. 
So, I mean, you know, it, it's, um, they're used to it and they're used to moving. So it's, I mean, it's, they're going to do it. It's just until you, until you bump them off of it, they're going to move during daylight hours. It's just until you educate them. In, uh, when you, when you're hunting early season, are you really just mornings hunt till example, 10 o'clock backing out and coming back in the evening? I might hunt for an hour in the mornings and to get down. He's probably not going to see much. It, at least where I'm hunting. You're probably not. So that, um, that morning you killed, you killed your buck. Then you said he, he, you'd shot him within 10 to 15 minutes of that's wild. Yeah. I mean, he, he was coming in and he had a dark rack, um, just a chocolate rack. Um, so it took a little bit to kind of make his rack out, try to figure out what he was. Um, and I think I shot him with a rifle, maybe about 75 yards. And even then, like I, I could tell it was a deer I wanted to take, but um, it, it uh, it happened pretty quickly. And that's usually when I see him in the mornings, that's how it happens pretty quickly because they're smart. I mean, they know Th- those deer had not been educated yet, but they know they're they want to get back to the bedding, you know, sun's about to come out, it's about, it's about to warm up, but. That was by far my favorite hunt of the year and a favorite hunt in quite some time. Um, not just the buck, but because my two kids were up there. So I went and picked them up from the house and they were still in pajamas and brought them to blow the deer up. And my dad was there. So that was fun. That, that was um, a lot of fun. Yeah, you got to do you that with them. Share it. You got to share it with everybody. That probably normally doesn't really happen, does it? No. They're usually not up there when I'm hunting. <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. So you killed him September 16th. And then from September 16th to I think it was November 14th that you killed your second buck. What was happening in between that time? <laughs> oh, the lowest of lows. <laughs> I, I think we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happened between is that we 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 did get out did did get out for some does, went a little doe tournament, a little you know, had a little fun with some friends. My dad shot a nice buck mid October. I brought a friend up there. He shot a nice buck early September, and then I hit a buck November 9th that I did not recover. So that was probably that was the lowest of lows that that I'm referring to. Anybody, Kyle and I have had this conversation multiple times because he kind of had a story where he, he he had to call a dog in. Yeah, wasn't exactly sure what happened, and I it always surprises me is that you talk to some people and it's like, oh, I've never had that happen to me. I always find all this, this, and this, and it's like, man, you're lying through your teeth, right? Lying through your teeth. So now, and that's. The buck that you didn't recover, because you you have a dog, if I'm not mistaken, that does track deer, right? I do. Yeah, I and I heard that episode that you list, that that you're referring to. Uh, yeah, I I I brought three dogs out there. Um, long story short is, let's see, I was up there for a big rut weekend with some friends. A friend of mine killed one on that Sunday, the seventh, November. And that Monday night, I guess, well, anyways, I, it was a, it was a Monday night. 
last minute. My, my mother-in-law was coming to town, stay with us. She's going to play tennis next morning, which is great. Gives me a hall pass. She'll help take care of the kids. If I'm in the house, like I'm just in the way, you know? So I had a late dinner meeting that, that Monday night. I jetted back up the farm. I had all my stuff with me, so I didn't even have time. Or I didn't go home to get my dog. It just it just made more sense for me to just hit the road. So I didn't have them. And the next morning, I was on one hunt that Tuesday morning, Tuesday, November 9th. I had already had my lone wolf set up, nice little bow spot. Um, it was a ridge for us in South Carolina. I would call it a ridge. Y'all might. You might call it like a... I don't know, like a step, a little footstep, but nice little hardwood, some oaks, dropped down to a little spring-fed creek. The creek wasn't that big. It was more like a ditch, but it was a true spring-fed creek. And then on top of some bedding. Just, I mean, it's a killer spot. Um, I rattled very, very early on. Um, had a little six-point mill through. I don't know if he was coming in for me or not. And then maybe an hour after first light, I rattled some more. and. I, I feel like I've been having some, some better responses the past couple of years. You know, it doesn't work all the time. I guess like, was it 60% of the time works all the time? Not quite that much, but it, it, it what I've been doing lately is doing a very short sequence, maybe like 10 seconds to the point where like, even for me, it feels too short, very short, 10, 15 seconds. I mean, um, and then initially do it kind of light, but just, just, just to mimic, what the fight really is, which is, um, it's not so much sparring, like, you know, like a game of Thrones sword fight. It's like a wrestling match, like, a, like an Olympic wrestling match where it's, 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 it's body weight and it's leverage it's pushing. So I'll get the antlers and kind of grind them together a little bit of clanging, but just mimic the grinding of the two antlers coming together 10, 15 seconds. And that second, uh, sequence I did heard something in that thicket and it's like I either spook something and it's hauling ass out or it's coming in and it in it it was like a script that I would write up I mean he he charged right in I think it was either eight or nine point came up the ridge and then he stopped about 30 40 yards at at a range had my bow already had a bow in my hand and my grunt was behind me and I like to use two hands with my grunt call. Um, I didn't want to do it, but I had to reach back, get the grunt, had a face mask on, couldn't pull it down. Um, so I had to blow through my face mask, which was fine, but I blew two very weak, I call weak grunts, very thin, very hollow. I didn't personally like them. First one, nothing. That second one, he put his head down to the ground and just started moving right in that window that I had, I had already shot with my rangefinder. 20 yards. It's like he went right that window and stopped. At that point, I don't know if he's looking at me. Probably was. I don't know. But I set my set my pen and shot. It sounded good, felt good. He did that classic J hook, took two or three steps, and then angled right back where he came. Um heard some, didn't really hear much, didn't really hear him thrashing around, waited like kind of 30, 45 minutes, crept over just because it was 20 yards to where it was, found my arrow, went right through them, good blood, some good, some good air bubbles, backed out. Got, I got out of there. My exit was nowhere near where, where he ran. Um, I took photos of the arrow. I sent it to 
a couple of biologists I knew, some hardcore hunters. I sent a lot of people just to like get their opinion as far as my arrow, told them what happened. And the consensus was I probably hit him in the vitals, probably a lung, to go in there two, two or three hours and look for it. And long story short, um, went in there and at about 15 yards, the blood was just, it was pouring out of them. I mean, it was so much bright blood. It doesn't matter if it was a, you know, a compound bow, a crossbow or a rifle or shotgun. If you're trailing this deer, you just know you're going to find it. You're going to walk up on, I mean, it was so much blood, um, good blood. And then he got, he went about 150 yards and he got to that next creek that I mentioned earlier. It's like a ditch. At first you would think it's a ditch, like a man-made ditch, but it's not. It's spring head and the little creek is about maybe 10 feet, 10 feet wide, but it dips down like four feet. So he kind of dips down and comes back up and he gets to this creek. I'm thinking if he, if he crosses this, that's a very bad sign that he went down and up or he jumped it. Um, and it took me a long time to find a speck of blood on the, just on the other side of that creek. And I found nothing. I, I was hoping that maybe he went left or right on the creek. He went down, he went up. I found a little bit of blood, like a speck. There was nothing, just nothing after that. And I spent, um, I actually, because I'd have my dog with me, I, I hired a dog, a hound, through a South Carolina deer tracking group. He came in late that night. Um, and for God's sake, if anyone's listening, if you have any questions, if, you, if there's any question, get a dog. I mean, what a dog can do with their nose is, I mean, it's, it's priceless. I mean, it's the tool you need, brought that dog in. That, that dog, his demeanor did not change on the blood. I mean, that, that, that blood was still, still fresh. His demeanor didn't change. I don't know. If, I don't know if he was just off. I mean, everyone, you know, people are off, dog to be off. Uh, that next morning, I brought in a friend of a friend's dog. He came in. He was awesome. He was young. When he got the blood, he took off. And he took off to a different spot uh, across the creek. Never found anything else. I ended up bringing my dog in, which my current lab, my first lab was a killer at blood trails. My current lab, he's good at blood, but he's really the best finding the down deer. Right. If you can get downwind of where you think he is, circle him downwind, he'll smell the deer. And so I ended up getting permission on the, on the Jason landowner. I spent a couple of days going back and I, I brought, I brought my dog back days later, um, found nothing, nothing more. Um, I mean, I even circled back. I played all the games to see if that, to see if that butt was wounded and maybe he circled back to where he was bedding. Maybe I jumped up from my bed rattling his bed rattling. I did everything. I mean, I spent, uh, over the next couple of weeks to over a month looking for buzzards, nothing. So, and of all the, and I, ton, I took tons of photos. Well, well, that's the other thing I left off. I took photos of like all the blood, like every consensus, like blood pile, sending people I knew, tons of people, like real people that know what they're doing. The consensus was it was probably lung blood. It probably wasn't liver. It wasn't dark liver blood, but it, I think the idea was I probably hit one lung. And 
it went through them. Perfect. I should, I should not say perfect. It was passed through. Uh, G5 Montec. I mean, I don't want to listen. I like this broadheads. I'm not throwing them on the bus, but fixed, fixed. Um, so, and with as much blood as it came out so quickly, I don't think I hit them high. I mean, I, I track deer that are bow hit high, even rifles. Sometimes they can take a long, long time for it to bleed because the, the shot's high and the body cavity might take a while for it to fill it with blood. I don't know. I didn't film it. Um, I have no clue. Um, but, you know, I did everything I possibly could. So that was the lowest of lows. The fact that I, that would have been the biggest buck bow hunting, the biggest buck rattling and to, to do that together. Um, talk, talk about defeated. I mean, I, that, that just uh, crushed me. Not with the when ego, you... but just the fact that I wounded this animal that probably is alive, but I don't know. When when you shot that deer, did you like have any idea like where the impact was, or was it was it kind of like my situation where it was just kind of a guess? Ultimately, it was a guess. Um, okay. I don't think you know. I'm about to say I don't think he string jumped me. But then if you if you listen to some of these people that really research, you know, bow hunting, filming, de filming deer and other species, pretty much every animal does jump a little bit. So I was aiming, I, I, I well, see, going in the season, I've been consciously practicing and shooting a little bit low for the string jump because I've had them jump my string. And then before I shot on this buck, I thought about he's coming in looking for a fight my experience with rattling bucks which is not it's not that much but whether it's a year old buck or an older one when they come in they're looking for something that's not there unless you have a decoy what they're looking for is not there so you've got like a very short window and they're on high alert something and this so he probably did jump my string he's on edge i've grunted so close to him don't know if it was looking at me. I, I, it's here's your question. I have no, no, the shot felt good. I mean, I, I've taken shots before. I mean, like my, the buck Labor Day morning, that wasn't a good shot. And I knew it. I killed him. But after that shot, because I was with, I had my rifle and it was, I had to lean over the back of my climber and I was watching for so long. It was that classic situation where you have your binoculars when a deer, and they're not looking at you, but they're looking your way and you're kind of exposed and you don't want to lower your binoculars. And so your, your arms are just on fire and you burn your arms out and they finally put their head down and then you pick up your bow, your rifle and your arms are cached, you know? So that shot on that first buck, Labor Day was not a good shot. I killed him, but I had my rifle. So it was a little more, you know, I had that, you know, cushion of hunting with a rifle, but, um, but but my I felt good about the shot, but he was on high alert. I know he was on high alert. Um, yeah. but you know, I, I'm no Robin Hood. The arrow, what I can say, the, the arrow went directly through him in the dirt. Like it didn't shoot off anywhere. That, that yeah. doesn't mean anything, I know. I mean, well, I mean, in the end, it you know, it 
it does tell you like it didn't hit anything hard because you know it probably would have deflected and and i like personally like i know right where you're coming from i've gone through you know the same thing where i've hit i've hit the biggest buck of my life i hit them low yeah and then um you know the the blood trail on that one was it was kind of a lot of what you were describing of you know he's just dumping blood bright red blood it's a little bit of bubble like everything looked great and then you know three quarters of a mile into it it just dries up and then i've also seen it where deer get hit forward in front of the yeah. chest and it's the same thing like i've done it where i've hit them there and blood looks great and you're thinking oh it's just over this ridge and then you know you you know bumped the deer that night back out and i went back in the next morning and this was just you know this was a doe and even and um we bumped her mid-morning the next day she was still alive like and i was just hitting them forward and it's like man those those blood trails really suck and you said it perfectly yourself when if you are questioning anything and you don't know for sure just get a dog i promise you it is worth it every penny absolutely yeah absolutely if i could do one thing different hindsight which of course i mean you know we don't have that luxury in hunting would be to stay out for i don't know eight ten hours um there's a chance when I went into that thicket, I waited like three hours. Um, and I, I had a shotgun. So the biologist I was talking to, one of them said, wait about three hours. It's probably long. Bring a shotgun with a buckshot. And that's something that, that, that we do a good bit. Um, if you trail a deer and it's wounded and it's in a tight, thick area, if it's you know, you, you might bring a gun, rifle, shotgun. I, I you know, I realized like, like a public land, that's hard to do on like a bow only area. Um, but when I was walking that thicket, I heard some movement that I did not think was a buck. It didn't rip out. And in that area, a butt with that, a butt with some antlers should have ripped. I mean, it was, I was on my hands and knees a good bit crawling through there. So I wonder just like, was he in there? And maybe just hunkering down and the blood was somewhat clotting up and he got up. That was him. I heard, but where, but I would, I, I combed that block, which wasn't that big for days and there was no blood pool. So if he stopped in there, he was standing up the entire time and there were some big pools, but there was nothing like some major area. He was definitely standing for a long period of time. Um, so, I mean, the blood so was like what you mentioned, Kyle. It, it was so to where, like, you never really stopped your feet. You're not, you're not even, like, really hunched over. You're barely glancing down. It's blood after blood after blood. Pile spurting out. You know, you're not even stopping. You're just trying to get through the thicket. Uh-huh. And, you're, and you're just waiting for it to walk, walk up on, on the deer. So, it, that, 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 but as a side note, I mean, if you're thinking about it, I think that I heard your podcast and I think that guy charged me about a hundred bucks, maybe 7,500 bucks. But you know what? If I, so I spent the money, I gave him a tip. The guy came out late. You know, I couldn't get my dog. If I wouldn't have done that, I would, I'd be sitting here talking to y'all. I wish I would have gotten a dog within that, that first 24 hours. I wish I would have. Now, I was going to always go back and get my dog. But mine's, uh, I'd be afraid that he would get loose, even though I do keep him on a leash and pop, maybe bump something. Because he's not really finely tuned 
to, for something to be still alive at this point. Um, plus, it was a buck. I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, it might sound bad to some some nine hunters, but it was a buck. I was bow hunting. I rattled them in. I wanted to hire someone that you know knows knows what they're doing. So I don't I don't fault that dog, dog at all. But but I'll tell you if you're, if you're ever thinking about it, do it. Because you might be sitting here thinking, man, I w- what if? What if I made that call? Yeah, but no, completely agree there. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned um, that that buck you might actually bumped him in that thicket, and um, you know you think like he honestly might have been standing there. Uh, I there was make the story quick, but there was a, a buck that we that I hit during gun season one time. Uh, number of years ago and then he actually went in front of my grandpa I hit him low uh, like below the heart but we were still following blood through the swamp and then he actually came out but in front of my grandpa and my grandpa was shooting a 300 wind mag and he hit him back like guts and the buck turned came back into the swamp and then my grandpa's rifle jammed long story short like we were following like parts of contestants like so we're thinking Mm -hmm. oh this buck's just smoked like you know, not a good hit, but he's going to be dead. Like when you're finding chunks of, you know, stomach and small intestine and stuff, like you're thinking it's over that buck went another four or 500 yards across the road into our other property where there were some pines and we found blood where across the road. And we were coming up to the pines following the blood and we kicked him and he was just standing there. He was, you know, hurting so bad. It's like, he knew if he bedded down, he was, he was going to die. So he was standing there and that was an hour or two after he had just got shot a second time and has was like losing part of his guts. Like it was, it was the most insane thing I've ever seen. And then after that, the blood stopped. He just stopped bleeding. Yeah. Never found him. Yeah. The white tails will to live. is just insane. It, it, it you know, I, I've, there was someone I was a researcher. I was listening to somewhere on a podcast talk about um, different shot placements, but like a, a gut shot, they get hit in the gut or maybe even like the leg. They don't know what it is, but they're in pain and they'll just walk a little bit, not too far and either just stand there or, or lay down. And they're probably just going to die there until you bump them. Um, but it, it's, it, it um, it's tough. It, it um, so I, that looking back as far as all the blood, having people analyze the blood in my arrow and what it did, the consensus was maybe one lung and maybe it's, you know, but it's tough. So, I mean, that, that, that was, that was a huge blow to me mentally, you know, one as a hunter, you know, you want to kill a buck, whatever, but just mentally just screwing with me as far as bow hunting. Cause I mean, ha- that point, I mean, how am I going to get back on the stand with my bow, whether it's a doe or whatever else? It, it's difficult, man. I, and that's, yeah, I, I sh- I'm struggling with that still. You know, I, two years ago, I shot a buck and I never found him. Called the dog in blood. I mean, it literally looked like you walked through the woods and sprayed red spray paint for the first 100, 150 yards. And then it was like your story, just specks, specks of blood. And after that, it's been the mental challenge of shooting my bow. I can shoot it just fine in the backyard. 
trying to regroup from that is proven to be a harder task than what most people, I guess, would admit. I don't know. Yeah. That's the difficulty with bow hunting. And y'all talked about it before in your podcast, but you don't really, people don't really, it's not that they're not being honest, but it's not talked about as much. Right. Um, failure and how difficult it is. Not like it's just hard, you know, it's hard, hard, but it's like, there's so much wrapped up to wrapped up in it that it is, it's a, it's, it's a whole process that's hard. And, um, you know, there's some bow hunting purists out there, which there's nothing wrong with what wrong with them. But I think there's some people that are getting into bow hunting. If they're not really don't, if they don't see this side of it, they might fall in that bow hunting purist, like, you know, as if like, that's the better way to kill a whitetail. Like some like, like, you know, there's fly fishing snobs. Like if you don't, if you're not fly fishing, you know, if you're not bow hunting, they don't want to talk to you. You know, it's cheating, all that. But I mean, it, there's a reason why, there's a reason why, but I mean, rifle hunting, it's, I know people don't like it in some areas, but it's much more effective. I mean, it's a much more effective means to kill a deer. And so I'm not saying I'm not never going to bow hunting. I'm not bashing bow hunters, but it, it, it's a discipline that you've got to have. And it's tough. You know, so, but I like doing it. That threw me off and I'll put, put my bow down. I'm going to have an overhaul in the off season. And what I told some friends, what I want to do is, um, just got to start from scratch and try to find someone in town, locally, wherever that I can get some lessons from. I did the same thing when I was trying to get better with my shotgun. I was, you know, shooting, shooting skeet sporting clays years ago, trying to do that more. And I just kind of hit a plateau. You know, I, I couldn't really beat my, my number shotgun sports and I met with a shotgun instructor and he quickly switched, switched me, which I'm left. I always shoot right-handed, but I'm left out dominant. Didn't know that started shooting left-handed shotguns. And I shot long story short, I started shooting better. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I want to switch how I'm shooting, shooting with my bow, but I just need to kind of, I need a fresh overhaul with the bow. That if. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. All I was gonna say, like, if if you if I could give you any advice there, because I mean, you are word for word going through like exactly what I went through two years ago when I lost the biggest buck of you know my life. Like, I had no confidence. I was just, it was hard for me to like get up and go get in the stand again because I'm sitting there thinking, well, all I'm gonna do is wound another deer, and um, yeah. that off season. I went through well, the school of knock. I know if, you know, I talk about it on a number of podcasts and, you know, I used to shoot an index release and now I shoot either the back tension silverback or the knock to it thumb button. Um, but either way with both of them, I'm shooting it with back tension and like my shooting has gone just through the roof. And, you know, so that's something and it's all online. Like you don't necessarily need uh, someone to, you know, be there and teach it. Like, He's got it all set up so that you can do a weekly course. And I mean, it, it is worth its weight. And the amazing thing, it's free. Like he just throws it out there and mm. doesn't charge a, a, a thing for it. And you can do it with a normal release. Like you don't need to buy a special release. It helps. It helps a lot. Yeah. Um, but just the information that John Dudley throws out there is, 
is insane. And I mean, he, he honestly saved me and probably, you know, my bow hunting career and my enjoyment. Cause if I would have kept going out there and losing deer, then at some point I would just said, well, I can't do it with a bow and I can do it with a great yeah. equalizer and my rifle. So I'll just rifle on, you know, that's what's right for the animal. And so that's, that'd be something I'd look into. That's a, that's a great idea. I need to look into that a couple of years ago. I've been three or four actually it might have been 2015, but my father, my brother, and I took some lessons, rifle lessons from a, a ex sniper that um, there's a little training facility, not too far away from us. And they, they train, you know, SWAT team and those kind of special, but um, we met the guy and just had a little shooting class with them. And most of this, you know, there's actually a lot about ballistics and shots that you know the way bullet fly there's a lot of things that most hunters don't know and you know maybe you might they don't necessarily need to need to you know know all the ins and outs but there is something to every now and then having a fresh set of eyes look at your form in person and, and get a and get a tune-up um i see that a lot not so much bow hunting but um i'll, I'll have friends and family you know come to hunt our place because we need guests to help you know fill these tags and um there's nothing wrong with it but if someone's listening to this podcast they're probably a hardcore hunter or they're getting there next season they'll definitely be a hardcore hunter but what i'm getting at is that the men and women that are into it they're practicing their rifle bows whatever there's a lot of casual hunters and there's, and there's nothing wrong with it but i mean you know every deer hunter out there in this country is not a hardcore hunter they're not listening to podcasts. They're not deep diving on John Deadly stuff. They got a bow. They got shot. They get rifle, whatever. And they might go one or two weekends a year. Those are the people that, you know, they, 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 those are the ones I see. They, they, they don't practice even with a rifle and they go hunting a couple of times a year, but they're not pulling the trigger on an animal. They're not, they're not practicing and they're not shooting that doe or that young buck. And so when a buck comes out, they make a mistake. Or they're just not practicing. I mean, even as with a rifle, it's amazing the number of people that just don't practice the rifle. Um. So, but um, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. I I if people follow my stories, they probably piece that together that I missed that buck. Um, I didn't I didn't share everything about that, but that was just heartbreak city. Um. And I didn't want to kill, I didn't want to try to kill another buck on our property after that. I mean, to me, that was a tag. Kind of chalk that up as a tag being filled. I mean, unless I come across him in person or on a trail camera and it looks like he can make it, to me, that's a tag being filled. So you you have no idea that there no he has not appeared on any trail cameras or nothing. Looking back, um, I had him on trail camera not too far away. Um I found a video. I was like, yep, yeah, that's him. Um, I haven't found him since. But that in area, you'll get bucks, but it, it's not, it's not like all the time. It's not like consistent. I mean, you'll though I might pick up, you know, one once every couple of weeks. I don't know. Um I have, I have no clue. Man, I, I do want to say that, and that, that that's the thing I love. I love talking with like-minded people in this it takes balls to say that i made a mistake and this is what i'm going to do to fix it 
And I just, I want to commend that because it just, man, failure is just something that you don't talk about it. You know, and I don't know if that's just how, you know, we're, we're raised up to be, we're supposed to be scared of failure, but a lot of people, they just, golly, they just stray away from it and they, they don't face it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I couldn't be honest with myself. I couldn't talk about a great successful hunt season I've had. If I didn't bring that up, I mean, yeah. you know, I can't sit here and say it's all, it's all been great. Cause it, you know, I, I, uh, had that failure. So, um, I learned from it. And, um, but so that was Tuesday morning. Uh, I think the ninth, I think the ninth Tuesday morning. And so anyways, that work week was just, if anyone was trying to get a hold of me or trying to do some business with me now, you know, now, you know, where I was <laughs> like, now, you know, um, but, um, I went up there a couple more times with my dog bringing him in some thickets, trying to, trying to see if he could pick up on a dead deer somewhere, a dead body, anything, looking for buzzards. Like I said, I got permission on that next track, and I blew that track up. And I told him what I was doing, but I went on there. and uh, But that weekend, um, or, or that week, our dryer um, actually just stopped working in my house. And we got two young kids. That's amazing how much clothes kids go through. Um, I mean, not much like, you know, myself, my wife, but two kids. And so these dryer stopped working and um, uh, my in-laws, you know, I knew they had a working washer and dryer and they live on a farm in Georgia. So being the, uh, the outstanding, uh, you know, conscious father and husband, I, I am, I said, Hey, I said, Hey, uh, talk to my wife. Why don't we take all our dirty clothes, go, go to the in-laws, go to your parents, we'll wash and dry the clothes, and then maybe I can hunt. You know, I bring my hunting gear. Maybe I can squeeze a hunt in. Um, I wasn't really looking to hunt at our farm anytime soon after that, but um, long story short, and I'm going up there, talking to my wife and going to her parents. They do live on a Georgia farm, and um, I had a spot that I picked out that one in a rut hunt when I was in there looking for sheds. And it was just, it, it was, it was, it was two clear cuts that about two years old, maybe two or three years old, planted pine trees. So it is cold weather bedding. And right between them was a hardwood drain that went right into a wetland area into a pond. And on the other side of that drain was a hardwood uh, upland area where I, where I know they feed. And there's some thick areas in there too. Um, went in there November 14th and um, had a similar type hunt where I, I, I rattled early, had a small buck that came right in on a string, right in my tree, eventually smelled me. And then I had some does that passed through, uh, came up behind me, three or four does, and they kind of forked off. I don't know how they didn't smell me unless my thermals were going up. No clue. Um, and then a little bit later, I did that same that same uh, rattling sequence that I, I talked about earlier, and it was just the just the oddest, weirdest, awesome thing. But it was just, I mean, coming off that hunt, it's like I couldn't have told the story 
without teeing up the failure because right. th- there's some similarities to it. Um, rattling again, same type thing. Heard something kind of coming in pretty hot and uh, where he was came in from, I couldn't see it up to like maybe 30, 40 yards, saw some movement crossing a creek. Um, I saw an antler set and it's one of those times where you see some antlers and you just know, you know, you just know it's a shooter. And I learned something there because I had my rifle. I definitely didn't have my bow with me. Uh, but oddly enough, he came in and stopped like right away of about 25 yards. Right on top of me, which I guess is no surprise. If you're rattling, they're like turkeys. They pinpoint the sound and they're going to that sound. So there's no surprise. But I've, you know, I've shot bucks rattling. But what I did, had not thought about, I still have my rifle on full power. And so he's coming in. I see him, grab my rifle. I'm in my climber and I'm ready for him to shoot once he crosses behind this big pine tree. And then I try to put the crosshairs on him. I realize all I'm seeing is brown. And my scope's a little stiff to where you really need two hands like grip the scope and then to adjust the dial to scale the scope back. And I didn't have time to do that. He's that close. I'm looking at my scope. I don't know what he's looking at. I was looking at me and what he's doing again. I know it's a buck that's coming on edge. And so I just took the crosshair, found his front foot, front leg, and then just went up the leg to his vitals and shot. Um, and he, he went a little too far for my liking. It was good blood. I mean, I could see he was that close. I could see the blood as he ran off. Um, but he maybe went 100 yards or so, but it felt like a mile. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I waited, I waited, I, I tracked the blood, and it was good blood, and I was just I, – I was not excited until I found him. Just, you know, dead. Oh, and I, I – um, that was um, that was my went mentioned from the lowest lows to highest highs. I I bet I bet that whole track job you were just like oh hell here we go again. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Um, good blood. Um, end up hitting a, a little low. Um, but you know, just ran. He was running on adrenaline. I mean, he was he was dead, but uh. Yeah, man, I was not at ease until I found him. Um, so, uh, you know, not that that wipes out the buck I wounded uh, or killed. Just didn't, didn't retrieve. I don't know. But it was, um, you know, sometimes you just got to get back. Um, I would not have gotten back in the saddle, not the saddle hunt, but just the expression. Um, I wouldn't want to get back in the saddle with my bow. But sometimes you just got to get out there, hunt, you know. <laughs> You miss a deer, miss a doe, but whatever, just get out and hunt. Um, that, so have you, after this roller coaster of a season, have you, have you picked your bow back up since? Uh, yes, within the case. (laughs) It was in the case and I moved it. I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) Um, no, I haven't. Man, I'm I haven't I haven't yet. I, I'm Just because I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for that journey. Like, I think it'll be yeah. good. I think I think it will be good. It, and that's a good idea, um, Kyle. To you know, look at some of the stuff John Dully puts out. I just it, 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 and I will. I just I want someone in person to look at my setup, to look at me, 
look at my arm length, all that stuff, just to make sure, um, you know, I'm not doing so. I don't have something wrong or whatever. Yeah. I just, someone to see my shot. And then from there, go, go, um, you know, tweak it as, as normal. I mean, I, you know, listen, I love bow hunting and it's so much fun. I mean, even, I mean, shooting whatever, a doe, doesn't matter what it is. Um, but it, 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 it takes discipline. It takes skill. Um, I like doing it, but I can't bow hunt all the time because we can't, we can't, you can't kill. It's hard to meet a lot of harvest goals by bow hunting only. I mean, you just can't do it. It's impossible. So in, in South Carolina, when, when is your guys' rifle season then? This entire time in our game zone. I wondered, I wondered that. I, I didn't know. And that's the same with Georgia too, isn't it? Um, Georgia does have a an early bow season. They do. It's like a week or 10 days. Okay. Could be a little bit longer. They they do have bow season. So half of South Carolina opens up August 15th. Any weapon, you know, rifle, uh, bow, bucks only for the first month. And then it's, and then it's either sex, any weapon. The north part of South Carolina there is an early bow season and it's a little bit later, but they do that because the lower half of South Carolina is, is so uh, populated. It's been that way since I can remember as a young kid. Jeez. And we, and, and we're only, I mean, the doe population kind of goes up and down some ebbs and flows as far as, you know, kills and stuff like that, but it's still there. Um, you know, I mean, I, I know that, you know, I know that even food plots get a bad rap. Some people don't like, don't think food plots, um, are, you know, ethical or whatever. A lot of people don't like corn piles and feeders, but there's a reason why some of the States have them legal is because the populations are so high, the density that that's like a management tool to thin some out. But now it's a double-edged sword. We're seeing CWD in our, uh, northern Alabama recently. Um, and if it, if and when it hits the south, which it probably will, if it's not here already, it's going to explode with all the said feeders and corn piles of how it spreads. How it socially spreads. Saliva, all that. Ground contact. So um, that will probably be a problem. I didn't, you know, I didn't really think about that until you, you just said it that you know the states use the feeders and the corn piles as a tool. Now you flip that around on the hunter, man. The hunters, that's strategy for the hunter. I mean, to them, a lot of guys, they they think that that feeder and that corn pile is the strategy. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the food plot stuff after learning a little bit more about that. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into it. There's, and you put in the, that amount of work and and money. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's not cheap. If you want to do it the right way, and I'm not, you know, it's just as far as like fertilizer, or if you need fertilizer, soil samples, seed, time, washing the weather, doing it the right way, it's a lot of time, a lot of money. And do you really need it? Um, you know, I, I hunt a lot of food plots. But the way I hunt them a lot of times is like this buck, Labor Day morning. 
I was guessing. I have no clue. I don't have my Bucks GPS collar. I wish I do one day. I want that. Yeah. Have, have an app. I could sell it. People come hunt my place. But more than likely, I'm assuming that buck was feeding in a series of food plots on the middle of our property. That's what I was hoping for. And he was working his way back. So a lot of times when I'm hunting food plots, I'm not on them, but I'm, I'm, I'm hunting deer going to or from them is that destination food source. A lot of people, they will hunt on food plots. And that's great. Um, but I see more mature bucks off the of food plots in the woods, hunting around bedding. They serve a, a, a really good purpose, but naturally hunting on them sometimes is maybe not the case. Um, and some people, you know, they hunt over corn piles and that's great. You know, I mean, I, I say it's great. It's fine. It's legal, but a lot of people can't tell you where they're coming from. Right. You know, they right. drop corn out. They like this area, but when you ask them where, where, where the deer are coming from, where they're betting, they don't know. They can't tell you. Yeah, man, that, that takes part of the fun away, you know, that getting out there and walking around the woods and learning all that different stuff. That's, that's just a quarter of it. So that's, Absolutely. you know, and that's kind of where talking with Kyle on, on his property, he's got some, because you, you did manage it this year, Kyle, and I think you're planning on doing a little bit more next year. Yeah, it, uh, one, of the, one of the properties I hunt, it's, it's on the edge of town. Um, you know, it, it, the whole thing's 80 acres and about half of it's for business and then the other half's like a big quarry like that has water in it. And then there's like some wooded stuff that I hunted. There's some big deer that roll, roll through there. And I know the property holds does and then that's why the bucks come in during the rut because all the does are there and then this last season was the first year that we you know there that I did anything with it me and my my buddy Brad he he helped me a ton with it but we cleared out like a third of an acre of this field and put in a plot of clover and then um, purple top turnips and I mean, the deer were in it and they, they hammered it the whole season. And even now, like, you know, we have, there's probably a foot of snow up there and, you know, we're in freezing temperatures and my Spartan camera, I'm getting 10 plus those a night. And there's been one buck that's come in um, and hit, they're just digging up those turnips right now, which is, which is great. But the, the weird thing for me is if you go back two years, I was seeing like 20, 20 deer a day. And, you know, I, I had an opportunity at a giant, you know, um, buck that season. And then this season rolled around and I thought, oh, it's going to be great. I got this food plot in there now and they're going to be in there like crazy. And then, you know, I'm sure Nick's heard me talk about it a million times, but it was like the end of October came and it's like all the deer just moved out. Like I went from having 12 plus does in that food plot every night to, just maybe a doe or two every couple days and like for whatever reason they moved out and then probably about towards the end of November um, around our nine day rifle season here in Wisconsin then they kind of got pushed back in um, and they were back into the food plot feeding on what was left of the clover and the and the turnips at that point so I was sitting here like, oh, I thought I'm doing something great. This is wonderful. And then, you know, the season rolls around and right when I'm expecting these big bucks to be there, like I'm not seeing any deer. So I would, I don't know if it was just a one-off or 
I have no idea. It can be tough um, trying to figure out what they're doing. That's a chess match, that's for sure. Yeah. With them. Yeah. Well, what can you do? I figured give them, give them food, even though this year didn't go as planned. It, it can't hurt to give them food because the property doesn't really give them a whole lot more. It gives them the, the, there's some cover there for them, which is why the does stay. But I'm, I'm just going to go with, okay, it's a one-off year and they just didn't want to be there during the rut. And if it happens again, this coming season, well, maybe I just don't put a food plot in there anymore. If you can, uh, depending on how much like thickets or bedding you have, if there's something you can do to manipulate the land, to have more thickets, uh, more bedding, that's um, that's what like my habitat management world revolves around. Personally, it's just bedding. That's really all. Uh, that's that's really what I focus on. Um, you know, food. Foods for the most part, it's there. Um, if you if you manage your forest, but for me, it's talking about like man, like habitat management goals. It's just uh, it, it's like I look at every year. I'm I'm looking at what bedding do I have right now, and when am I going to lose it? Because a lot of our bedding is pine thickets. We just we clear cut a section, plant pine trees for the next you know year two or three for the next five or eight years. It's a good thicket, but pretty soon. Trees grow up and you can see right to the bottom and it's gone. So I can't wait to that point to then create more. So it, it's, um, I, I, I personally think bedding is like the number one, the number one habitat feature that you need to have. Um, some stuck out to me. I read this book called Whitetail Tracks by Valerius Geist. Um, he's a, Deer, deer species biologist out of Canada. He passed away either went this summer or last summer. Um, and that that book, he's got some books that just like deep dive, talking about like how the deer evolved and how they how they evolved from these animals around the time of dinosaurs. But what stuck out to me, they, he he kept hammering in about the species, is that how they focus on safety. It's like their number one concern in life is safety, surviving, and that safety is above all. And that they'll choose an area with poor food source with better safety than flip flops, than like ag ag country. There's like no safety whatsoever. So um, the way that I, I try to design or maybe try to have like food plots or different areas is ha is have some good cover screen, something for them to like like that food plot. You know, if 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 you had a good um, try to have like a, um, not a hard edge to where like the food plot doesn't run flush up against the trees, have like a staging area, have, have some tall grass, plant something, let it grow up wild, just something like that. Um, but you know, sometimes it's stuff out of your, out of your control, you know, what the neighbors are doing, uh, what the herd's doing. Um, it's tough because sometimes we get caught up. I mean, every hunter's this way. You get caught up in thinking I, I'm this way too. Like what you see on the stand, you go hunt for a weekend and all those sits, which really is not that much, you and your buddies, that's what y'all saw. And then, and then your trail cameras. And so you take 
what you saw on the stand, your buddies, and then your trail cameras, and you chalk that up as that's what the herd's doing. You know, all the bucks left. I mean, how many times have you heard someone say, oh, this buck left um, during pre-rut, and he left the farm, and he came back after Thanksgiving. It's like, how do you know that? There's no, you don't, I mean, how, how, unless you have a GPS collar, how in the world do you know that? So um, it's, it, it's tough. Um, unless you change, change up what you're doing, like hunt somewhere different. And that's, that's what I found years ago is just like getting off the food plots in the fields, hunting in the woods. And a lot of times you'll, you'll see deer that you, you, you didn't think was there. I'm not saying that's your place, Kyle, at all. I'm just saying that um, we, we found that years ago. I mean, before I really got good as far as learning our deer and how they moved, when I was long time ago just hunting destination food sources at a certain point it dries up the deer catch on and you might someone might kill a buck that's during the rut they they call him dumb i don't think the buck's dumb he's just focused on one thing and he steps out into a field but um you know that's that's i I think more times than not they're hanging around thick areas and they're chasing those does um and they're hanging around because that's where the does are and they're tired of being chased around like an open area. So they're holding up in thick areas and that's where the bucks are blown into. Have you, uh, Kyle, have you thought about that at all with the, uh, adding in that like hard edge or yeah, form of edge that that was something we were looking at this year. Um, Cause we were gonna, we were gonna expand it a little bit, give them, you know, even more food and give them different variety. Cause you know, we, I did the whole soil test and the soil's good. You can plant pretty much anything in there and you know, it's a little rocky, but for the most part, it's pretty good. And, um, I was going to take, get some, like, you know, there's a number of names for it, but, uh, like border patrol, uh, you know, that Egyptian wheat or, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, that stuff grows to 10, 12 foot tall. And, um, so you can put that stuff in there and then you can really break up the food plots. And then like, there was a section that I was just going to do a big chunk of it. Cause I mean, that's perfect bedding for them. It gives them everything that they need. And, you know, so they can, you know, bed in there and you just, you know, kind of stay away from it. And then, you know, I, I was even, I, I know about where they're bedding. Um, that's the nice thing about the snow right now is, um, one of either like one of these next few weekends, I'm going to go there and just walk the property and, um, just go look for beds. And I have a pretty good idea where they're going to be, but you know, in some of those like little hardwoods, like there's some thickets kind of like you've been talking about, and there's probably some stuff I can do to make it a little bit better. You know, maybe drop this tree here or, you know, you know, something like that. And, um, you know, maybe even give them some a easier walkway to kind of funnel them out of the thicket that I want them to come this way instead of um, a different direction where, you know, it's, it's hard for me to get set up on them. So, um, cause that, that's kind of been my, my next thing that I want to go to is, okay, they got a little bit of food and we'll give them a little bit of more food, but, you know, like you said, what do deer think about safety? And that means bedding, you know, if you give them bed and they feel safe, they're going to be there. Absolutely. I, I think, I think it's a great idea going there, even like hitch, excuse me, hinge cutting, hinge cutting 
some people thought thought it was kind of a fad. Um, but it, it, it hinge cunning ha- has its place. I've done some. Most of our betting, like we have adequate betting, just like a lot of the southeast. I mean, just I, I mentioned I mentioned these pine farms because because naturally, if you're growing pine trees, you're going to have bedding at some point, or, or your neighbors will. Um, but if you don't have that kind of timber that's not cut that quickly, um, you maybe hinge cut. Like find some trees, find some trees that have zero value to you, to you or wildlife. Hinge cut them down. You can create stuff. It, it, it's deer. Uh, if you figure out what they need, I, I, you Nick, you had mentioned Dr. Craig Harper. That guy is just phenomenal. And I've seen him speak in person. And I, I, I've listened to a couple of webinars, maybe. Um, but that guy, one thing I've heard him talk about several times, and it's hard to do. Everyone can't do it. Um, but like, you know, Kyle, like look at your property from like, a, I think 10,000 feet, whatever. Pull up the aerial shot of your property and, l- and look at your neighbors. You know, first it's like, he always says, look at your neighbors figure out what they have and what you need because you, you, you might offer something that maybe your neighbors don't have, but long story short is he talks about bucks and does really only using about a hundred acres or maybe 150 acres. They don't really use that much. Now during the rut that, that, that changes, but his philosophy is if you can create on every hundred acres, like carve your property up in hundred acres pieces, you know, it, best you can. I try to create everything a white-tailed deer needs for that hundred acres. You'll keep them around, have some good bedding, um, have a food plot, and then maybe do some TSI like timber sheet improvement, burn, have some natural food, acorns. Um, you know, make sure there's maybe maybe you like discs for some early successional plants. You burn, have some water. You get everything they need within that but if you know if your property is mostly food and they're betting off your property you, you might need to have to cut them off depending on how long it's taken taking them to get there his approach is something that i'm really trying to fine tune and trying to like fragment my land to where like it's it's a lot of little thickets not too small but you know it's more thickets it's broken up to where deer move around more they're staying on the property and they're moving around more especially during the rut, the bucks, you know, just moving around, scent checking these thickets. Um, but um, that, what you said is a good idea um, as far as scouting right now. I love shed hunting. We're, we'll probably start shed hunting um, sometime like, usually like mid late February. We'll have bucks that'll even hold their antlers to like mid, mid-March. It's rare. Some might hold theirs to like early mid-March, but and I, I've been tracking it, or at least I look at my iPhone. I probably walk six to eight miles for every one antler I find. And it, like, it might be a fresh antler, or it might be an antler from the Clinton administration. I mean, it's just been sitting there being gnawed on for every critter. But I love shed hunting for the sole factor is like I blow, I blow up areas that I, w- that I don't go through, I, that I don't go through any other time of the year. Thickets. The swamps, looking at the swamp bedding, uh, all those pine thickets. I never go in there except except shed season, or unless I'm looking for a deer on a blood trail. And that's the time where you learn how they're bedding, where they're bedding, 
And sometimes, I mean, like, there'll be years where I'm convinced they're batting against the air and I go in there, I, I see zero sign. I see no sign whatsoever. So um, I, that's that's when I do most of my scouting for the year is looking for, like, shed, shed hunting. And then just let them be, you know. That, oh, you talk about shed hunts getting me excited. We got hmm. probably same thing mid-February around here, really get out and hammer it. But that, man, I, I got to go back and talk about the Dr. Craig Harper. Okay. For a second there, I thought I was going to talk about my, my bow bug. That is fine. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, oh, man, we're, we're past that, right? They were like 45 minutes past us. Why are we? Okay, good. No, we're past that. Good. That's... We just like to suffer here. That's why. <laughs> What'd you say? I said we just like to suffer here. That's why we want to bring it back up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the aspect to hunting the habitat because I don't. I don't have my own property. You know, I hunt yeah. a lot of public land, and but understanding that even just the basic concepts behind habitat and habitat management. It's only going to make you a better hunter. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter if you're hunting public or if you're hunting private. You know, if you can identify certain things to make you an overall better woodsman, why the hell not? And those books are on sale right now for anybody listening. Go on National Deer Association's website. It's a bundle package. It's like 68 bucks. It's a hell of a deal. It it's definitely if you're if you're a whitetail freak or habitat manager to your property add it to your collection you are 100 spot on in my opinion you're going to become a better hunter by reading stuff from, like from dr craig harper or publications or articles by like the national deer association Re like basically research based yeah not you know what joe schmo wrote Right. Research-based, not the, like what you said, like, here's the, the seven days, the only seven days this fall where you can kill a booner, you know, like these are the days and they put it out there in the summer. It's like, I mean, how they, do they just like throw a dart at a calendar, you know, on the wall? I mean, how, <laughs> how does that work? But that's how you get better. I mean, yeah. Read these articles about, you know, like what they're eating, when, and like you said, you might be, you might be hunting public land. So the planning side might not work with you unless I know like in Missouri, there are some farmers, there are some planted stuff there, but you might learn what they're eating and when like natural food or exactly. how they're bedding. It's a little stuff like that, that um, can absolutely make you a better hunter research-based. Yeah. And just, to, just even to know what those natural food sources are in your area, I guarantee I could probably walk down the street and ask 10 different hunters. And the only thing they're going to tell me is acorns. That's the right. only thing that they're going to be able to tell me that the deer eat out in yeah. the woods. And acorns don't fall year round. Right. So tell me what, tell me, explain to me the rest of that, you know? And if you can identify that, I just, I think that makes you very lethal because around here, if you're hunting public land, you're probably pretty mobile for the most part, especially if you're bow hunting. And yeah. yeah. You'll be keeping your eyes open and you never know. You stumble upon something and it, there's nothing better when you stumble upon something and realize that something has come through here and they have, which I know I don't, deer aren't, they don't browse, do they? 
and I, and I can't think off the top of my head of what the official name that they actually do, but they've, they've actually ate in this area. I mean, when you realize yeah. that it's like, okay, well maybe I need to put a camera here or come back tomorrow night and hunt this. Yeah. I, maybe it's just the people I follow and maybe I'm just following more of these people, but I feel like there's, definitely been a, a a new wave or resurgence of or, or a new focus on like native and natural food sources as far as what like, like managing for that just that um and for public land hunters to understand the natural food and what they're eating like you, you might walk through some woods might not see anything but you start paying attention you're seeing all these plants snipped off well what are they figure out what they are exactly. and so i mean like what we're doing for flight management i mean like prescribed fire when you run a, a fire through a um any kind of timber block that gets sunlight that you know has enough crown openings where it gets sunlight it's got some bare dirt and you disturb the disturb the ground with some fire burn the litter off in the in the cover get some sunlight in that's a natural food food plot i mean you know we still have we still plant food plots for options. Deer like diversity, but the best food plot is is a prescribed prescribed fire burn. And they've actually, you know, I think it's University of Florida did like a Final Four um, tournament style bracket, like college basketball bracket style of of deer preference last year. And um, it's not, I think, what what one I, I don't want to. It might have been pokeweed. But it wasn't a soybean. As far as like, it, it was like what was it's like what they prefer, and then pound for pound breakdown, like not like literally pound for pound, but like what what what's the best bang for your buck? Best bang for your buck is really controlling your timber. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not plant food plots. I don't, I mean, I don't know where I read that too, man. I, go ahead, I, you're go ahead. That was it. I, I'll nothing value that. I mean, but, I mean, you go ahead. But that that's I mean that's really the best um that's the best form i i read that and i i can't remember where i read it at and that was that was like the title of the article it was what what you're doing wrong for your habitat management and majority of people don't do burns yeah and it's um it, it can be daunting and i mean it's a lot i mean it's not easy i mean once you have it down it's very it's not hard but it is a lot to do and if you can't do it don't have the means to or or you lease your land you don't own it see if you can't find someone with with a tractor and a disc in this time of year going like spring just just light disc some areas um in the timber anywhere with sunlight just light disc and you'll disturb that native seed bank and you'll have and and, and, and watch what comes up at our farm, we'll get blackberries and pokeweed and all different types of just natural food that they eat, that they browse on. So, I mean, really the bang for your buck is, at our place, is doing that fire. But you do need a diverse, I mean, if you want to max, maximize, if you, diversity is king. And, you know, I've got those areas where I burn, but then... I like to hunt the deer milling through there going to and from the destination food plot. So it, it, it's, you know, 
there's no silver bullet for any property. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, you know, if there's not more of a motivation to go out and do a burn, just think about all the ticks that you're lighting on fire. <laughs> yep. Yep. That right there, that would, that'd be enough to make me just let's go burn them it's, all. I got to tell you, it's fun. I mean, it's therapeutic. Go on there, light stuff on fire. It's not a big fire. I mean, as long as you do it the right way, it's very low burning. Um, but I mean, I posted before and after photos, but just watching it, just the natural vegetation grow up. Um, especially when I know y'all might not have a whole lot of pine trees, but when you take a like a pine forest that's just littered with has a, a couple inches of uh of rotting pine straw, that's nothing. I mean, that 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 does nothing for wildlife, it chokes out everything. It's doing zero for wildlife. Burn it off, get something going in there. But, you know, Kyle, go on your property. I mean, I, that's thing you might do is find the bedding, thicken it up, you know, cut down some trash trees that offer you nothing. By doing that, you might hinge cut, create some bedding, but then you might open up the canopy, get some sunlight. You might think, well, that might be, it could become too open, but that sunlight might get some growth in there, you know? thicken things up and then offer them food too yeah no i i agree that's it's probably what uh it's definitely something i should keep an eye out for you know when i go walk in for some sheds here and um i know we, we touched base on the shed hunting aspect of things that i got a pretty good eight point he shed his uh right side i think and there was a picture of him with the shed with both sides and then the next day he didn't have one so i'm starting to get a little itchy to get out there and go look for it because i have a pretty good idea where it is but um also trying to be a little patient so can yeah. not go push him out he's comfortable he gets all the turnips he wants right now so he can he can get fat and happy while it's I think the high this week in Wisconsin, if anyone was curious, was like 11 degrees or something like that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, if, if you want to feel bad for me, go ahead. I, I'll take the sympathy. Nobody does. <laughs> no, nobody does. Yeah, I It's cold. As... Man, guys, Mark, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we've been nothing but deer talk for an hour and a half. And we're kind of coming up on that, uh, on our time hack here. So I want to, I want to give you a chance to tell people, you know, if they want to reach out to you or where they can find more information and read the blogs that you're putting out. Cause that's good stuff. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. It always is. Well, it feels better to get that buck, that, that story off my chest, talk about it. Um, you know, most of my friends know about it. So, I mean, I don't hide it, but, um, like you said, I do think it's it, it's good for hunters to share it, stuff like that, losses and failures, because that's how people learn, you know. Um, the, people can find me. Um, I started a website about a year ago, southeastwhitetail.com. Um, and um, really, it was just something fun for me to do. It was stuff that I was already doing. I'm already doing this stuff, and I've been doing it for a long time at our farm. And um, I started to kind of expand a little bit of, with my Instagram. Um, my, my personal Instagram just came like hunting and uh, managing for deer. And I just wanted to uh, share more, you know, share more content. That's the stuff I'm already doing. Um, 
you know, content I, I already have. And, you know, it's by no means a end all be all and not, I know everything, but um, it's just stuff that works for us. So I try to put out some articles when I can. Um, and uh, the other side to it was just try to show, showcase the Southeast. Um, I didn't really think the South got a whole lot of attention as far as whitetail hunting um, that it probably should, um, you know, a large portion of the, of the deer hunters, I mean, like per capita, I think it's probably the most, as far as the congestion of hunters are in the Southeast. But if you look at media, it's all about 150 inch bucks in whitetail country. And that's not the South. I mean, you know, uh, despite what a lot of people would say on their own property, I mean, a good shooter buck is going to be, you see a 130 inch buck. That's a big buck. Yeah. Without question. And most people are going to shoot a 120 thinking that's a 130, 140. Not knocking them, but I mean, it, 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 it's, um, and I say that because, you know, I just wanted to share kind of what we're doing. And um, I think people get caught up a little bit too much about, you know, these monster bucks and it's not reality. Um, and it's not how the average person hunts. Um, and I, I just couldn't relate. You know, I, I can relate to y'all's podcast and what you put out. A lot of people like y'all, but some of that mainstream media stuff, I just can't watch. I can't listen to it's, it is not realistic. And the hunting, the hunting community is in a big buck craze right now. Yeah. And eventually it's going to die off. Eventually it will. I mean, we went through this big public land boom and you can kind of even see that that's starting to teeter off now. Like it's yeah. not it, public land was if if you're not hunting public land, you're not deer hunting so on and so <laughs> forth it it all there's the waves just keep going and going and i i think that it, it's really cool when you find and in doing this podcast we found a lot of people who are very very like-minded in the way we should present ourselves as hunters the way that we should the way the hunting community should actually be and it, it's always just it's so cool when it all just kind of comes together, you know, like th this podcast is, it's been a blast and we need to do it more often, quite frankly. You should. Yeah. Y'all should really focus more on this. Focus more time on it. Yeah. I I'm kidding. Y'all do a great job. Uh, Y'all do. You know, the, the podcast stuff. I mean, it, it is a blast. It, it, it really is. And, and she's, we don't make money off this. This is pure hobby enjoyment. Like this is, that's what it is. I mean, we don't, it's our time here on the side. At, I mean, heck it's what? 10 o'clock your time. You know, you got little, you know what? I'm sitting in my garage. Like my, my wife and my kids down, she's cooking dinner. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy right now. Uh, that's for sure. I'm having a good time, but you know, no, but I, I, I joke most, most nights I cook while she puts the kids down and we flip flop, but no, um, I think it's great. I love talking about this kind of stuff, you know? Um, I think it's good, you know? Um, so thanks for having me on. Yeah. It, thank you for coming on. And, uh, I know that there's a couple of things we didn't get to on here, so we definitely need to schedule another one and hash it all out again. Absolutely. I'd love to. Cool. Well, you don't need uh, to come down to uh, South Carolina. You know, that 
We talked. I mean, about eleven that. degrees. I mean, do you even go outside of eleven degrees? Yeah, we put pants on. We don't have to. We don't wear shorts when it gets that cold. <laughs> but I, I did hear you mentioned something earlier. But you, you got a lot of dough tags you got to fill. And I personally know a guy who lives in eleven degree weather who likes to kill does. So if if you ever need a trigger man, I know a guy. Y'all need to come down to next year's Doe Invitational uh, tournament. It is invitational, but I will uh, – I can include y'all. Yeah. No, just extend the, the invitation to the guy from Missouri, leave the guy from Wisconsin in Wisconsin. <laughs> if you want to win, Nick, you need me there. I, four quivers, we, we are going to be good. That's wild. So that <laughs> I, I don't care if it's got milk dripping off its lips for mama, it's going down. Yeah. Cal, I tell you, if I have to see your face more than once a week while we do the podcast, I think that's about it. What are you gonna do in North Dakota? I'll be on the other side of the state. <laughs> <laughs> but guys, thank you for uh for tuning into uh this episode. I hope that. You guys learned a lot. I mean, this is kind of jam-packed full of knowledge and always learning. That that's the great thing about hunting. You're always learning. So stay safe out there. And if you uh you get a quick second, go on down and check out Mark here. Go to his Instagram and his website and leave us a uh a rating and a review. It is greatly appreciated. So stay safe and we will uh we'll catch you next time.